Welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast, where we discuss all things real estate, personal finance, investing, entrepreneurship, and the many ways to achieve financial independence. We interview accomplished investors and entrepreneurs with the goal that their stories inspire you to take control of your financial future. Here to get your creative juices flowing while also documenting their own personal investing journeys are your hosts, Corey Jacobson and Ryan Bevilacqua. Welcome back to the Weekly Juice. As always, it's your boys here, Ryan and Corey, with another episode for you. Today, we interviewed Ingrid Duque. She's a real estate investor based out of Georgia, and she has her hands on a lot of different investments. Um, she's part of GoBundance, the an incredible mastermind filled with multiple millionaires. And um, she talked about short-term rentals, long-term rentals, and mid-term rentals in this episode, and just kind of how she's pivoted her portfolio over time and has kind of done this to diversify a little bit, but also to play to the times. And for uh, she actually grew up outside of the U.S. in Colombia and moved here when she was very young. So I had to learn how to speak English and adapt. Yeah. And just absolutely incredible story. I don't know, like an absolutely incredible story um, of someone who just battled through perseverance. Yeah, I mean, not only that, but her... It's funny, her, her Instagram name is engineer.on.fire, engineer on fire. And her tagline is Latina relentlessly building wealth. So she is like the the poster child for coming from, and I say this in air quotes, nothing, right? She came over here. She, she said, she even said in the episode, she's like, I was a good girl. I went to college. Like she did like the typical thing that a lot of, a lot of immigrant parents and just parents in general, like want your kids to do, they want you to go to college. They want you to get a job safe. And she talked about the story of when she realized that she was, you know, dispensable at work, not indispensable. Right. So, uh, she was making great money as an engineer. She started investing in real estate, you know, couple duplexes here. And then she realizes that she needed to scale by partnerships, by a partnership. She went into, she does long-term midterm and short-term rentals. And she talked about the exact reason why she does each of those and what each of those brings her monthly in terms of revenue and cash flow. It's, it's really, really inspiring to hear that somebody who came from the situation that she did and who is ended up in the situation that she's in and just continuously growing and inspiring. And she has a great, she has a, like a really fun Instagram too. So financially free millionaire. I mean, what more can you say? Yeah. Let's bring Ingrid in to share her own story. For real estate investors, going mobile is the next big thing for managing our properties. We like to have the power and resources in the palm of our hand. When we're hunting for deals, we're consistently go, go, go. Having Rent Ready's property management app is great for checking in on all our properties, especially when it's time to collect rent. With Rent Ready, we get the benefit of both mobile and web apps that allow us to collect rent from anywhere. We not only get instant notifications when rent is paid, but we also have the ability to send automatic reminders to tenants when rent is due or late. From finding the perfect tenant to collecting rent, everything an investor needs to build wealth and manage their investing portfolio can now be found under one roof with Rent Ready. The most exciting news is that Rent Ready gave us an exclusive 50% off promo code that can now be used by all of our Weekly Juice listeners. You just need to visit rentready.com and enter the code JUICEBOT to get 50% off any Rent Ready plan. That is R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com and enter the code JUICEBOT, J-U-I-C-E-P-O-D, to receive 50% off any Rent Ready plan. As you know, we talk a lot about financial independence, building revenue streams, and buying yourself more income. Wanted to give our listeners a special opportunity to potentially add a different revenue stream for themselves and into their portfolio. 
Tune into episode 110 to hear Corey and I peel back a couple layers on something that we're investing in currently at the moment. Just gives you a snapshot of where we are in our journey and gives you the opportunity to invest as well. This specific opportunity is to invest in a YouTube content monetization channel. And we go through every single step of the way, how we got involved and all the ins and outs of it. If you're interested after listening to the episode, feel free to drop us a DM. We're happy to answer any questions that you have and we'll point you in the right direction. Ingrid, welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast. We are thrilled to have you on the show. We can't wait to share your story with our listeners. And uh, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me today. Absolutely. So if you could walk us through your story of growing up and how you got into real estate investing. We're, we're super curious on kind of why you chose real estate as your investment vehicle of choice to start and build your uh, build wealth on your journey to financial freedom. Yeah, of course. So I am originally from Colombia, South America, and I moved to the U.S. with my family. I was like 10, 10, 11 years old when we moved in. And we went through this whole phase of not knowing the language, not knowing anyone, just coming to a brand new country with no one. And it was a very impactful for us. And we went through the whole process of high school, middle school, kind of learning, you know, what a GPA is, ACT, colleges. So that was very challenging for us. Now, I did know, though, that even though I didn't speak English, I was really good at math. So I decided to apply for engineering school. So I went from college. I went to a engineering school in Atlanta, Georgia, and I decided to go into civil structural engineering. And that's pretty much where I graduated. Now, after college you know, how society molds you to go towards a corporate job. You know, you want to make sure that you have your pay time off and you have your 401k and all that good stuff. So I was a good girl. So I got a corporate job pretty much. And I got into that boat. And I would say 2014, that's where things kind of like clicked to me. I was in my corporate job. I was, you know, I was showing up on time, doing my job. And then we had a meeting that morning. It was like August, 2014 where the company had decided to reduce the workforce, you know, due to finances and stuff like that. So that day, within like an hour, like 70% of my department got laid off, like that automatically, pretty much. And that kind of showed me that even though you're a good employee and you show up on time and you're loyal to the company, you cannot be confusing being useful with being indispensable. So then I came back home that day and then I told my husband, hey, we need a backup plan. We need to do something. And real estate just came to mind. I mean, we're not building more land, right? So that's why I decided to invest into real estate. And it took me about six months just looking at properties. I was living in Pennsylvania. But since I went to school in Georgia, I was more familiar with Georgia. And that's kind of like what attracted me to invest around Atlanta. And that's where we purchased our first property. We purchased our first property about 20 minutes north of Atlanta. And I'm going to be honest, like I knew nothing about real estate. And I do not suggest people do this like I did it. Pretty much, I just went into the deep end. I didn't read any podcasts. I mean, listen to any podcasts. I didn't read any blogs. Bigger Pockets was like brand new to me. Like I didn't even know about it when I bought my first property. I just knew that I had to get into it. 2014, that's when we bought our first property. And that was also our first mistake that we made with our tenant. Because when we went there, like we bought this property site on scene. We had not seen the property. We just closed on it. I traveled from Pennsylvania to Georgia to look at the property. And we started painting ourselves. You know, my husband and I were just doing all the cleaning and painting. And this uh, person just came up to us and he was like, hey, rent it to me and I'll give you three months worth of rent. And we're like, okay, yeah, we need the money. Of course, you can hear the keys pretty much. That person became our first eviction. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Not shocked. <laughs> 
Because I mean, suddenly after three months, he didn't have the money, right? To pay rent. <laughs> now, again, lesson learned. There was a lot of lessons learned during my first property. Then eviction process took place. He went out and then I kind of sat down and I started to educate myself more about real estate and what I need to do in order to secure a good quality tenant. My second tenant has been there, there since 2015. So we're going to go in almost eight years. So he's grateful. He loves it. And now I have a vetting process to make sure that tenants, you know, they are well qualified, their income, their employment and deposits and, you know, financial statements. So all of that now we have a process in place. And on average, I think we have um, our tenants stay with us about four or five years and then they go out and buy their own house, which is great. I'm, I'm really grateful that they're able to be with us and then go into their own house. So again, that was my first experience with real estate. It was a lot of learning during the first house. But then I realized that I ran out of money because I paid cash for this property. And then my strategy at that moment was, how can I leverage my W-2 job so that I'm more attractive for banks? And what came to mind at that point was I need to focus on making more money pretty much on my yep. W-2 job. And what I did, I kind of came with a, came up with a strategy for my job, special engineering. And I jumped to another company. I got a you know salary increase. And then I would stay at a company, you know, two years or so, and then jump to another company. So I was saving enough money for the down payment. And of course, if you have a higher salary, then banks are willing to lend you more money, right? Because of your debt income ratio. Now, I didn't buy anything from 2014 to 2018, because during those four years, I was just focusing on how can I leverage my income, my W-2 job. Now, 2018 came and I went back on the market. Okay, so I have enough money. I can buy properties now, you know, have a good job. Banks loved that I have a good job. And then I went again into the area that I bought my first property, north of Atlanta. Now, four years have gone by. So now properties in that area were selling a lot higher. Now we're talking about 125000 150000 I didn't have the money to buy one house for $150,000 cash because obviously investors are paying cash. So loans will take 30 days. So I need to save enough money to buy cash. So I can do a refinance. And that was kind of like challenging north of Atlanta. Now, analyzing the whole market, I saw this one property popped up south of Atlanta. Now I'm talking about south of the 285 loop. It's like one city called Forest Park. And this house was $52,000. Now I went and I saw it and I thought, you know, $52,000 doesn't sound so bad. And I bought the property. Now this is interesting because I had no, I, no intention on investing south of Atlanta. I, my area was north. I had tunnel vision. I was only going to buy north, but I needed to adapt. You know, it was too high now the prices. So I went south about only one property. We painted the property, cleaned the property, and then we put it on the market. I have an application process. I sent it out. And then within 24 hours, I had like 45 applicants. Now, as part of my application, one of the questions is, why are you moving? Like, why are you moving pretty much? And percent of the people were moving from North Atlanta to South Atlanta because of the rent. The rents were getting so high up north that they were relocating south. I saw that and I told my husband, we're going to start buying here, like in this area. People up north are moving and relocating because it's so high for them to pay. I mean, they don't have $2,000 to pay in rent, right? 
down here, they can pay $1,000 to get a house and the houses are $50,000 pretty much. So that's what we did. Like we bought this one property in 2018 and within that same year, we bought like four more, five more units in there. Okay. And they would get rented like within like a week, pretty much. Tenants were doing so everything. This is this is awesome to, to hear. And what you just described actually was like the 2% rule, right? Which is like insane to get a buy a house mm-hmm. for $50,000 and rent it for a thousand, right? Yep. Am I thinking that? Yeah. Yeah, because 500 yeah. would be 1%. Yeah. So like- it, the fact that you're able to adapt and, and and change your strategy on the fly is mm-hmm. really cool considering you only had one property. So my question for you is, is like, I know that you said you had this aha moment, like, okay, I'm in, I'm not indispensable at my job. And then you decided on real estate, but you didn't really tell us what, like why. And I'm curious, like what made you decide, like, not only I'm going to buy a property, but I got to go all in on this. Is there something that you said that you were new to all of the the podcasts and everything? What told you that real estate was like the move for you? Okay. So in Colombia, we, in this is based on our culture, like you're considered to be wealthy if you own your own house. Like if you have properties, that's like kind of like set to, that's something that it's tangible and you have money there. So I had that mentality of like, okay, so the first thing you need to do is buy your property, period. Because you're not, we don't have more land, land is limited. In addition to that, I didn't have the knowledge of what investing in the stock market was pretty much. I thought that was only for the rich people, you know, people in Wall Street, that's unachievable. So I came with the mentality of like, okay, so for me growing up in Colombia, the first thing you need to do is get your own house. Because you have your house, you have property, or you have, you know, you have your own property, you have real estate, real estate is how you consider wealthy people, wealthy people invest in real estate. So that's the mentality that I had when I, I bought the first, my first property, I was like, okay, so I don't know anything about stock market. And that seems to be like unachievable. The only thing that I can think of is, I know from growing up, you need to own real estate. That's the only thing that makes sense is own real estate. That's something that doesn't depreciate, it appreciates. So that's why I got into real estate. Okay. Great. That's a great answer. So talking about buying your first property, then your next few. Um, and then, you know, now you're talking about you own over 50 units. So what what happened after the the situation where you bought, you know, those four or so properties in south of Atlanta? Then how did you take that momentum and build it into buying what seems like a lot more, right? You're in apartment complexes now. Talk about 2018 to 2022. Okay. So definitely. So I still have my own portfolio and I was of the mentality of like, I have to do this alone. Like no one can help me. I'm going to do this alone. And I slowly started getting progress, you know, maybe two units here, three units here. But as any real estate investor will tell you, if you want to grow faster and go further, you need to start getting into partnerships pretty much. And that's what I did. I started getting into partnerships with the right people and make sure that you establish meaningful relationships with them, talk to them, make sure you have the same goals in saying values. And that's what I did. I met people that fellow investors during meetings, during Instagram, just net, meaningful networking. And we got together and an opportunity popped up. Hey, we have this 34 unit apartment complex. Do you want in? Of course, we had meetings. We all aligned on the investment. We all aligned on where we saw this property going and we bought the properties. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what gave, This is a maybe, a, I don't know if it's a weird question, but what gave you the fortitude 
you know, I'm thinking about myself and I think about mm-hmm. that. I, I've said this on the podcast a few times. I feel like I've come from a relatively privileged scenario. That doesn't mean that I haven't worked hard because that would be a lot. I just say that I haven't worked hard, but I've come from a scenario where my family was, is upper middle class, right? Uh, I had a great life growing up. And my question for you is what gave you the fortitude coming from, you know, being an immigrant that's coming to the, to the, to the United States for the first time the confidence to say that I can do this regardless of my first scenario. Like what, what was it about that? Because I think a lot of people are going to be listening to this. Like, you know, if Ingrid can do this from coming from what she came from the situation that she came from brand new to America and building this portfolio, I can do it too. So what do you tell those people? I would say that it really clicked to me is a shift of my mentality of the way I was thinking because before I had a a scarcity mindset, you know, I kept thinking, you know, that's there's no way I can do that. Like, you know, there's no way I can own 20 units or 30 units. That's not for me. You know, there's no way I'm going to find the money. And, you know, he did it because, you know, maybe his dad gave him money or maybe he comes from a trust or something like that. Like that mentality really affected me. I feel like it really stopped me from growing faster when I was I first started like doing this and we start hearing people about saying, Hey, I got like a thousand units or 100 units. That feels like so impossible to you. So something that did help me personally was surrounding myself by people with a different mindset, an abundance mindset. And it sounds like, Oh, that's not going to have a change, but honestly, like the mind is so powerful that what you think you become and seriously, like that is actually changed my life. Cause I started surrounding my, like myself with people that had nothing. And now they were like millionaires. And I'm like, how did that happen? And just talking to those people, it made me realize that, you know what, it is possible. And even though I'm an immigrant, I can find the money and I have value to provide to a partnership. It is, I can definitely do this. Just having that shift in mind and surrounding myself with people that have an abundance mindset, that have goals that can push you to go towards those goals, really like was the breaking point for me. Excellent. So on that same topic, can you talk about finding the right partners? Like how you did it? I know you mentioned Instagram, uh, maybe a little bit of forums, but like kind of just virtually networking, right? But then how do you get confident that these are the right people to go into a deal with? And then maybe can you talk to get actually getting into a deal give us an example deal of like how you what the profit split was between you and a partner and and break down a deal that you're in with multiple people just so other people can conceptualize like hey if i don't go by myself this might be might look like what i could go into if i went with other people yeah definitely so for instance i would say you shouldn't go into a partnership just because someone you like someone no, I would definitely say do not go, do not do that pretty much. Like you need to start like establishing meaningful relationships. And what do I mean by that? Like I met someone, you know, and I'm in Augusta. So I met someone in Augusta and we started having coffee, just talking. I was kind of getting to know this individual, you know, what are his values? Are his values aligned with my values? What are his goals? Are his goals aligned with my goals? So get to know the person. I like to think of this as, you know, a marriage. You don't go and marry someone that you suddenly met over Instagram or online and you're going to spend the rest of your life with, just don't marry them within after one interaction. I think you need to date them first. Same with a partner. We're dealing with money here. So you want to make sure that you feel comfortable talking to them. Are you able to be transparent with him, with them? Or do you need to, you know, monitor yourself so you don't offend them or something like that? Make sure that you're able to communicate with them. Make sure that, again, their goals align with your goals. 
and start establishing those relationships with them. If you're able to, you know, go to lunch with them or go coffee with them and talk deals with them over the phone or like during Zoom calls, that establishes a relationship and you get to know the person better. That's what helped me. And that's how I met my partners pretty much. I would talk to them. I would, you know, pick their brain here and there, make sure that the way of thinking is my way of thinking. And I also noticed that I'm very analytical. Like I can underwrite properties. Like that's my background. I'm really good with numbers. And I found people that would compliment me. Now, if we found two people that are really good analyzing numbers, but nobody knows how to interact with the seller or nobody has the connections to interact with the seller, then we would be pretty much step one, back, you know, back to step one. So I also found people that were complimenting me. Like I know that I'm, I need help, you know, maybe with like talking to sellers, funding of market deals, but I'm really good at underwriting deals or analyzing deals. And I can honestly just run numbers all night and I can show you something. I can explain why I have these numbers and stuff like that. So also finding someone that can compliment you on your, on your weaknesses. If you're weak on one area, find someone that that's their strength and they love doing that. So I would say that's something that I notice on my partners. And that's what I would encourage other listeners to do as well. Now for the deal. So we, I can think of like a big one that we did. It was, it was a 34 unit located like close to Augusta, Georgia. And the way, the way it worked, I didn't find the deal. And for the longest time, actually, I thought I had to be the one finding the deal. And you don't have to be the one finding the deal. You just need to be someone that can bring value to the deal. In this case, someone else found the deal. They It was an off-market deal and they came here and we decided to do a joint venture. We were like within, I think it was like five or six of us. We all raised the money for towards the down payment of this apartment complex. And it's all based, in this case, we all base this on the equity, pretty much. Now, the person who found the deal, they do get a higher stake on the equity because they found the deal, which makes sense. And it's going to change depending on the partnership and depending on how many people you have. But the way we analyzed this, the way we did this, it was based on how much money everybody's bringing for the down payment. So if I'm bringing like 100,000 and someone else is bringing like 300,000, then based on that percentage, that's how much equity they get in the, on the deal, the property pretty much. When you say that you raise the money, I just want to make sure I clarify, did you, each of you go out and raise money from other individuals or did the six of you bring your own money to the table? Yes. Just to be clear, it's the six of us. Got it. Cool. So like, this is not open to, this is not a syndication where you open it and bring money from the outside. This was within the circle, pretty much. We needed to bring, raise the money within ourselves and everybody brought money. You know, someone brought maybe 70,000 or a hundred thousand. So that's how we brought money. Now, depending on how much money you brought, that's how much equity you were, let's say, entitled to on this deal. That's just to keep it simple and math wise. Yes. Cool. That's awesome. Um, go ahead. So talking about this too, I know you broke down the, the 34 unit, but also you're in a couple other ventures. Can you talk about the coffee shop and then also the ATMs um, through, it's kind of through private equity, right? This pool of you six individuals or maybe maybe more and depending on the deal, but don't you guys go in groups now um, once you have a certain amount of funds and, and buy up certain other, I guess, ventures? Yeah, of course. So I do, as I grew my portfolio, especially in today's market, I decided to diversify myself a little more. Now, people say that real estate investment is passive. And to be honest, if you are a real estate professional, it's more like active. This real estate is active for me. I did want it to diversify myself to do more passive income. That's what I wanted to highlight, passive income. So I found a group of investors. And again, the way I found this group, we can talk about it later, but it was actually very interesting because it was through networking as well. But we found a group of investors. It's actually 10 of us. 
where they will have different connections. You know, people know that uh, other syndicators are raising money. So it is like a syndication, but the way it works with us, when you have a syndication, usually most of the times, the minimum contribution is gonna be 100,000. So based on 100,000, you're gonna get different splits, you know, a preferred return of maybe 7% or 6%. And then after you achieve that, then it starts splitting into different returns, you know, 70-30 or 80-20, whatever the operator decides. As a profit equity, what we do, instead of just raising 100,000, we raise 2 million or $3 million within ourselves. Now, since we're bringing more money into this syndication, we're able to negotiate terms with the operators. So instead of doing, let's say, 6% preferred return, we can negotiate 9 or 10%. Why? Because now they only have to deal with one point of contact, which is this private equity fund, instead of dealing with like 30 different investors. So it just makes the interaction cleaner. And we all get together. We have meetings with the operator, and we all try to I mean, for lack of a better word, poke holes. And honestly, 10 minds are better than one. So everybody has a different perspective and everyone can just contribute. And if someone doesn't like the deal, we'll discuss why don't you like the deal? And if they don't want to contribute, they don't have to contribute, but the rest of us can go in if we all feel comfortable with the deal. Awesome. That's really cool. Um, Before, when we were talking before the show, you were mentioning about how one of the biggest things that you've done in your real estate investing journey is adapt, right? You mentioned that Mm -hmm. you invest in long-term rentals, medium-term rentals, short-term rentals. I'm curious what has changed for you since that 2018 mark in 2022 and going into 2023 and where you think you're focused on and maybe talk about some of that adaptation that you've had to do from the different maybe areas that you've invested in and then also the type of property. Yeah, definitely. So when I first started, my whole goal was I'm only going to do long-term rental. Like that was my main focus, right? Now, 2019, 2020 came and we all know what happened then. It was COVID related. COVID happened. That's when I got the idea of like, okay, COVID is hitting. That means something's going to happen with hospitals. That means we're going to have traveling nurses having to relocate to places and that's where I got the idea of doing midterm rentals. So I do, I started buying properties closer to hospitals within like one to two mile radius. And then it was two units, pretty much one unit would be a long-term rental that would pretty much pay for the mortgage. And the other unit would be a midterm rental. That way I had the security of the long-term tenant there paying, you know, on a 12 month contract, but then I have the additional cash flow I have of having a traveling nurse on the midterm rental. So I started scaling like that 2020, 2021, and I still have those right now. And it's working great because now I have, you know, nurses coming, going. I think the longest I've gone without renting to a traveling nurse has been like a week and they usually stay for three months. That's how long the contract is. In addition to that, I also noticed, you know, when COVID was here, we noticed that the government shut down the borders. You couldn't, you know, go anywhere. Nobody was taking anyone. So what are people going to do? They're going to want a vacation inside the U.S. Then I started investing in short-term rentals in the Smokies. That's where I got like the 10% down payment for vacation homes and I own cabins in the Smokies right now. So it's more like seeing what the market is doing and adapting, especially now with my passive income. There was another way that I did to adapt. Houses are really expensive. Multifamilies are really expensive. I think sellers haven't adjusted or realized that they need to come down on their prices. So these passive investment opportunities have come up that are actually different 
asset class, like the coffee or like the land development. So I started focusing on those right now while still looking for apartment complexes or multi-units. I have a, that's amazing, by the way. I love your, it's just who you are, right? You just adapt and you pivot and you, done it you your find whole success. Life. You've done your whole life. It's amazing. Yeah. So this is, this might bite me in the butt if the numbers aren't, don't come out the way I think they are, but can you just mm -hmm. give us your, the, your highest revenue generating long long term property you're and then the highest short term rental and then the highest midterm i just want to see how these revenues differ so let's just for example like our highest property for long term generates us um i don't know roughly 800 bucks a month talking and about cash flow cash not sorry cash i'm yeah, sorry yeah. not revenue this is after everything yeah. so let's talk cash flow because that's what a lot of people are, are curious about when they're mm -hmm. building their portfolio they just want to know which way to go and the reason i'm selfishly asking this is because Corey and i are looking to implement a couple midterm rentals into our portfolio because we have long and short and now we're just you know meeting in the middle my brother also has done this for um a traveling nurses he's he house hacks and then his the his basement he turned into a um its own apartment, right? And she he has a traveling nurse in there and he's making a great, great amount of cash flow. So if you could just give us kind of like the the tier list here on um your long, short, and midterm cash flow on the but the best the best performers you have. Okay, of course. So I want to go with the duplex because I do have duplexes where it's like long term, long term, and then I have a duplex that is long term and midterm, and you'll notice the difference. And one of the duplexes that is long-term, long-term, I would say my cash flow a month would be like $1,000, to be honest, because everybody's wow. long-term, so rents are lower. But then on the That's one- That's still really is, good, though. That's still oh, really good. No, 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 good. but just wait. <laughs> just oh, wait. God. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> Go ahead. Tell us. We're going to do- We're literally <laughs> so, going to be signing up for midterm rentals at the end of the show. <laughs> so the one that I have a mixed strategy, and I do this- strategically i could have both of them be midterm rentals but i do like the security of one of them having a tenant always paying this one that is a mixed strategy i'm cash flowing about two thousand dollars right now wow that and that's only that's the cool part about that is that's only half of it you technically could be even more than that but you're you're still if they're both mid if they're both mids you have one long term in there too you're kind of like hedging your bet that's and it's already at two thousand that's amazing yeah. So like if I decided to do both of them midterms, I would say my cash flow would be closer to like $2,700. But then you have the uncertainty of like, am I going to rent with this one or is this one going to go? So I could go. I've considered that the higher risk strategy, not to say that it may not work. But for me, I do like the mixed strategy. That way I have like peace of mind. Like at least one tenant is always there paying my mortgage. The other one is just pure cash flow. Yeah, that's... um. That's a great example. And I can tell you what we're investing. We invested, we're um, partners in a 43 mm -hmm. unit property. And the property is basically split into 20 units that is long-term that within the 43. And then 23 units are short-term. So that's the hedging of the bets there where you have the worst case scenario is worst, worst, worst case scenario would be that none of the short terms rent out and then the long terms can at least supplement or cover majority of the expenses, if not all right. the expenses. So then you have the short terms that are really like the money makers or people are flowing in and out. So I love the splitting mm -hmm. idea you did it on a smaller scale with the duplex. I mean, Rai was saying this, it, we've talked about it in a number of episodes. It almost makes me want to move out of my house right now. Cause I'm thinking like, I love my, I love my property, but I'm just like, dang, like I could, I know I could rent this, not a hundred percent sure about short term, but I I know for a fact medium term because there's so many hospitals and colleges around this area. And I'm like, I was thinking about renting my property out. I'm thinking oh, I'll probably make six, 
five, 600 bucks a month, but I could probably make like 1200 or 1500. So that whole thing, uh, do you think that that's like the, like, is that 2023 and 2024? Like, is that the focus for you? What do you see? Cause you talked about the shifts. I wonder what, like, do you see that as a few, as like kind of a, a steady thing going forward, a lot of medium term? I do think so. Like, at least in my real estate portfolio, I do see myself growing that even more just because it's not even only focused to traveling nurses. Like I've had individuals that are being transferred or relocating to a new city due to like a new job or something like that. And they need to find accommodations for like six months until they're able to find their own property or they're able to buy something or just get familiar with the area. So even if traveling nurses, they say that, you know, COVID is no longer an issue and they decide to you know no longer hire them, I still have traveling professionals, people that are going to a new city. And I don't think that's going to change, especially like where I am located as Atlanta. There's so many headquarters coming up, companies moving, developing new buildings, stuff like that. So I do see that as professionals moving here. They want to get to know the areas that are not willing to buy a house just yet, especially because of the prices and the interest rates. They need a place to stay for six months. So I don't see that actually decreasing. I'm actually looking with a partner to buy another one in Atlanta. And we're just kind of like strategizing the best locations where we want to buy, make sure that the cash flows. So I don't see that actually reducing on my state real estate side of it. Cool. I have two more that, that kind of go onto this. One, the only... Um, of the three-headed beast, we did the long-term and the midterm. Can you tell us your best-performing short-term rental, just so we can get super oh, yeah. jealous? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so my best-performing perform one, it's a cabin that I have. It's a small cabin. I decided to go with a smaller one. It was a strategy move as well. It's a, it's a, it was a two-bedroom, two-bathroom, get two-bedroom, two-bathroom cabin in the Smokies. And that one cash flows, and I'm going to just, Give, give you guys like a taste. So that one went online mid-December of 2021. So it was only rented for two weeks in December. And I cash flowed $3,000. So half the half of the month, essentially. What you're saying is that if you're in a full month, don't tell me you're going to cash flow six grand on this thing. That's the goal. <laughs> That's the goal, honestly. But it, that's actually high season. Then I'll be honest and transparent during like low season. We're talking about $1,500 cash flow. Right. So, but so if you average it, would you say you're at like three, four grand? I mean, that's what it sounds like if you were to do I that. I would say closer to 3,000. Yeah. Two to 3,000. Still great. That's it's amazing. Awesome. One property. So did you have something else oh, yeah. too? Um, I did. So sorry. Thank you for that. Um, so last part for me is it's, you're consistently playing around with these properties, which is awesome. And I don't mean playing around. I'm just like strategic chess moves, which I love. Mm -hmm. Are you property managing these yourself? Uh, or sorry, managing the properties yourself? Or do you have a property manager that's helping you run the show? Because it's not easy to, to manage over 50 units, be partners in a bunch of deals and then doing all that you're doing. So just curious how you, how you run your show. So in this case, anything that it's like big, like the apartment complex, we do hire that out to a property manager. And that's what, in close included in the underwriting, everything else I self-manage. Cool. So that's, that also helps for, you're not giving up any of your profit, which is awesome. Right. Yeah. And I would say like, honestly, like I would say like, if you have systems in place, you should be fine. Like self-managing. Like I was actually, I was in Costa Rica and Panama for one month back in August and September. And I only had one maintenance request and it took me about 20 minutes to get it resolved. I called someone and I didn't even have to talk to the tenant. The tenant didn't even call me. There's like a system in place. 
They submitted through a website. I got a message. I forwarded that to the technician. And I was one. I was in Costa Rica for five weeks, very much. So let's let's talk about the systems too, right? Because everyone has a different way they run their business. And it's it's interesting to hear because the fact that you have so much going on, you're still self-managing is, is an incredible feat. What systems do you have in place? And, and is it something as simple as a property management software app or you have a specific contractor that you always send out to fix things at your properties? Can you just kind of give us a peek behind the curtains? Yeah, of course. So I would say someone who's starting to self-manage, there are free software out there. And the one that I used starting up was apartments.com. So apartments.com is just like a web- website, like a portal where the, your tenants can pay rent. They can sign your lease. They can apply to rent your property. It's like all this, what is it? Um, all these items that you can get done with like a one, one-stop shop pretty much. Like the apartments.com is a free one-stop shop for property managers, especially if you're self-managing. Now, what happens there is the tenants go and they're able to sign the contract online and automatically save saves there and they can download it on their computer. For maintenance requests, there is a section there where they can submit maintenance requests and it doesn't even go to your phone. You can get it go, you can actually make sure that it goes to your phone as a text message or it goes into your mailbox. It's up to you. Now I have both notifications set up when I was starting up with apartments.com. So if you're traveling, you're gonna get one code that says, hey, so-and-so submitted a maintenance request. Now, something that I'm very careful of is I don't tell the tenants that I'm the owner. I tell the tenants that I'm the property coordinator and they do not have my personal number. They know that is they go into a into this in this case, let's say apartments.com. You can use this one. You can go to apartments.com or whatever software you have and tell them that if they need help, they need to submit the maintenance request online. Now, if I get it, I'll just look at it. And then I have a list of contractors. I got like a handyman and I have like three or four for each. Like that's very important. You cannot just have one. You have like three handymen, three plumbers, you know, three electricians, all of that. And I suddenly just go to the first one. I send them a message like, hey, this house needs plumbing issues. Can you go tomorrow? Yeah, I can go tomorrow. If they say no, next one on the line. Issues. Yeah, I can go tomorrow. That's it. And then I respond through the software telling the tenant, hey, something has been set up. Appointment is scheduled for tomorrow, 2 p.m. Please make sure someone's home. And that's it. And that's it. all I do pretty much. I have felt that it, the the management of, well, if, is the tenant going to be home? Like, I, I don't know. For, for for me, it was like, sometimes the tenant would be like, oh, I'm going to be home. And then that person wouldn't be home. And then the, you know, the contractor's like, well, I have to bill you for coming out here. And I was just like that for us, the way we have our lives set up, it was so much better for us to hire a property manager, but I totally yeah. respect, I, I, I totally respect the, uh, the effort and the, honestly, the more cash flow that you make while you're self-managing. So I'm, I'm, the systems are hundred percent key. Cause if you're just flying by the city of your pants, like it ain't going to work. You might as well hire a property it ain't gonna manager. Work, yeah. yeah. And actually like you make a good point. Like there, that's actually something that may happen. Like someone may say, yes, yeah, someone's going to be here at two o'clock. And then the plumber or the technician shows up and no one's there. So within my contract, I have a section that talks about that. Like in case of maintenance requests, if there's a date and a time set up and they don't cancel ahead of time, at least 24 hours, then they are responsible for the service fee of whoever technician went pretty much. So I make sure that that's very clear and they sign and initial those sections. And I think it only happened once and it hasn't happened ever since that. Yeah. yeah since that I have cool. that. Yeah. 
So last one for me on systems is short-term rentals is another beast, but I know you have, I think you said a couple cabins. I know you mentioned one to us, but can you talk to the systems you have there? Do you use hospitable or, or I know some of these like generate specific automatic messages that you create once someone checks in or once they're in day one and then when they leave, just curious there. I know it's a whole different beast because it's more of a hospitality business, but um, I think it'd be good for people to hear. Yeah, definitely. So for those, I'm actually self-managing them, but I'm actually right now in the process of hiring a property manager. And the only reason for that is I'm having less time, even with the systems in place, I'm having less time to dedicate to those now that I'm more invested into the passive income side of it. But it's actually not that difficult in the sense of I do have a, I have price, price labs. So price labs is an automatic software that changes your nightly rates automatically like you don't need to go into airbnb or vrbo and just change them based on demand it can actually zinc to your those listings and do it on its own so that really helps that way i'm not the one changing you know you know christmas is happening so i want to make sure that it, the rates go up that happens automatically now i do use airbnb for automatic messages so what happens is a someone is able to their interest in renting and i get a message saying hey so and so wants to rent your cabin i say yes And within Airbnb, there is a template that as soon as you accept a reservation, it automatically sends them a welcome email saying, hey, welcome to my cabin, blah, blah, blah. And within that email, I tell them I'm going to send them check-in instructions within 48 hours of check-in. And I have another automatic email that 48 hours before check-in sends them that email to them. So it's all really a system in place where the only thing that I need to see or look at is someone is asking to make a reservation and you can even automate that. Like there's actually an Airbnb and VRBO. If the guest has good reviews, you can automatically accept the reservations. Otherwise they come come to you, you vet it, you say yes, and they just get those messages on time. And that's pretty much it. Like that's all I do. Yeah. Love it. No, thank you. So my last question here to, to put a bow on this topic is if you were, had to recommend a new investor coming in to go with one strategy, what would you recommend and why? I would say that that depends on your goal. And if there's a listener that says, hey, I just need the least amount of properties in order to accomplish $3,000 in cash flow, like depending on your goals, that's how you're going to base your strategies. It shouldn't be a strategy to goal. It should be what's your end goal and then your strategy. If you want to just go at it and be pretty much financially free in a year, I would go with a short-term rental strategy. Now, keep in mind that that requires a lot of work because you need to go, you, you got to make sure that it's actually set up properly, the furnishings and everything. You got to make sure your systems are in place. That is the strategy, in my opinion, that would get you the most cash flow, but it's also the most active if you don't have systems in place. Because yes, you have three properties, but then you have quick turnovers every three days, every two days, every day. So just keep that in mind. So it depends on your goals. If someone just wants to make a lot of money in the least amount of time, I will say short-term rentals. I love I love that you said that. And I, I'll what I have to add there is that I love the competition of the short-term rental thing because everything that people get into more, the more competition that drives up pricing and that will drive up the amount of revenue that you can generate. So like for us, we, I was like, right, we're not going to get into short-term rentals unless we're going to try to have the best property in our little, you know, in our niche. Like we have to, our property has to be the best. And if it is, 
and maybe when I say the best, I say it tongue in cheek, like, you know, obviously there's other great properties, but I'm saying in that area, it's got to be one of the best so that people see it. It's eye popping because now everyone's getting involved. Like everyone's in this space. So if you just rent out your property, like willy nilly and not have all the amenities, you're going to get beat out by other great operators. So I think that's, that's a key there. Um, and I love the short-term rental idea. I just think you have to do it right. Don't just be like, Oh, I have this house, like, and think you can just rent it out. There are so many things that go into it. Um, and the area and locations, obviously the most important thing. I think if you're a creative person and you're not strictly numbers focused, this is where you can get really, really, I don't know, I guess fun and creative in the real estate realm. So for me, I love that. Like, I just, I don't know, I like to draw, I like things. I don't really love numbers. My brain doesn't work that way, but I like creating things and like molding them, changing them and just making them aesthetically pleasing to me at least. And so that's what I was excited about going into the short-term rental business. I was like, this is cool. It's more like a fun boutique hotel and it's an experience for people to go in. And that's why when I'm looking on Airbnb, you look at all these different types of properties from the outside to the inside. There's people making Instagrammable walls. And I think if you have something that pops and like the hook that brings them in, that's amazing. But it's also the customer service level to bring them back, right? Like what's going to make them not only come once, but tell their friends and family to come, write you a nice review. And then that's kind of, that's almost like the algorithm, right? Like how it works and how you can continue to get, see success with them. So it's super fun. And then once you even get into that field, there's, you can kind of scale up, right? You start small, but then you can get bigger. Maybe you're in a, a lake area where you're a couple of roads off or communities off the lake. And then you, you work your way up by more generating more revenue, you buy a bigger place has maybe more amenities, but it's, it's really fun. And, and I think the, um, the creativity aspect is what sets it apart from, you can get that with long-term rentals. Don't get me wrong, but something about putting your own spin on it and having themed rooms. I love that idea. I know it's just kind of out there, but you're seeing people book vacations but picking these places for the experience versus yeah. just, oh, this place looks clean and nice. It's like, oh no, that room, that's a nautical feel or it's got the Disney theme. I'm think, thinking about some places down in Florida, they have like Star Wars rooms, Lion King rooms, just a bunch of uh, Marvel rooms. So th- that's very niche there, but you can do mm-hmm. certain things up in the cabins. We just, for our short-term rental, we changed our, we made a wolf room. And I'm like, if I saw that, like personally, I want to go stay there. Cause I think that's such a cool little vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll continue to tweak it along the way, but just, uh, just some thoughts there. I, yeah. I love the game so far. Yeah. Um, we love the short-term rentals and I'm glad that you're involved in them. But before we wind down the show, uh, the last question that I have for you is before the end, the second to last segment and the last segment is what is your opinion? You seem very analytical. You said you were, what is your opinion on what is going on now in the real estate market and what, and how does that going to change or pivot your strategy? And I can give you what I, what I think is going on. This is just pure speculation and opinion. I don't know anything. Mm -hmm. Okay. But what I think, (laughs) but what I think is that by the, the feds raising these rates, everyone is saying there's a crash coming. There's a crash coming. And I actually don't see that because I think the rental market is being driven up so hard by Mm -hmm. people not wanting to buy homes right now, right? Like they don't want to purchase homes right now because they see that their payment that would be $1,500 is now $2,300 because they couldn't get a 4% rent, a 4% rate. And now it's 7%. So I think that there's going to be a leveling off and there should be a leveling off, but I don't see this like looming crash because the rental market is going to be more saturated because less people are buying. Do you agree? Disagree? I'd love to hear your thoughts. I would agree with that. And I would add that 
I think, I don't think, I do not think we're going to see 2008. Again, this is my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I was going to say, it. you have to say it because everyone's <laughs> going to be like, Ingrid said yes. this. <laughs> no, this is my personal opinion. I do not think we're going to see 2008 prices by no means. I think what's going to happen is that we're going to see less competition because of the things you're saying. Now, first time home buyers are going to see the interest rate going up. Therefore, you know, why would they get a mortgage? Like you said, paying $2,300 instead of $1,500 a month. And I think when that's what that's going to create, I think sellers are going to start adjusting their prices. And what I mean by that is I've seen you no know, 10% drop on the prices, you know, 5% drop. They're becoming more flexible with their terms in that sense. And I think that's going to create opportunity. Which is healthy, people. by the way, right? I think we need yes. that. That's the thing. No, I'm we looking. definitely need that. I think right now, I think we've been riding a wave of like appreciation and prices going up like insane numbers every year. Now I think what's happening with those interest rates going up, less people are buying. I think rents are going to keep increasing or like leveling. I don't see them decreasing the same reason that you gave. But I do think that that's going to create opportunity for people that have money. And that's why, again, one of my strategies right now, as I pivot towards this market, I'm getting lines of credit on the equity that I have. Now, I'm using those lines of credits and I'm holding that money there because in contrast with having a refinance a property, when you refinance, what happens? You start paying the bank right away on that loan. What I do with my lines of credit on the equity of the property, I only pay if I use it. And once I pay it, I can reuse it again. So I'm actually piling up lines of equity on, I mean, lines of credits on my equity, ready to buy a property. If I need to buy a cash, I can reuse the line of credit, buy your cash, and then pay it off pretty much. So that's what I'm doing right now. I don't think we're going to see a huge difference. I do think, though, that it's going to be, we're going to create opportunities for people that are ready to buy. Love it. Love it. I think it's a great answer. And I, and I agree, you know, I agree with you as well. Um, I love the line of credit idea because I mean, we have lines of credit on our personal residences and that helped mm-hmm. us buy our short-term rental, helped us get into some syndications. Yeah. It's helped us do a lot of things. Um However, the 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 rates on those are adjustable. So I think we got them at like 4%. They're, I think they're up to six now, but it's not that mm-hmm. much money on the line of credit that it's hurting us that much. So that that's part of the, the strategy there. Um, mm-hmm. But that's great. So thanks for sharing that. I think uh, we made it to the core four. Unless you had something else you want to go to prior to? Cool. So the first question of the core four is through your experience, you I'm sure you've I know you didn't start out with a lot of books and resources and everything in the beginning, but I'm sure you might have caught up on them. So what is your favorite real estate related or business book that you would recommend to somebody else that's looking to get into the game? Okay, so the, my favorite book would be What Every Real Estate Investor Needs to Know About Cashflow by Frank Gallinelli. Cool, cool. I don't know if I've heard, have you heard that? No. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I need to know about cash flow, so I'm going to read it. <laughs> no, and that's great. No, but, it has, form- yeah, but, but, it has formulas, right? Yes. Okay, so it actually explains to you how to calculate cash flow, how to calculate NOI, you know, depreciation, stuff like that, very high level. That way, when you are running your numbers or you're underwriting something, you're able to reference the book and understand what exactly goes into cash flow. There's that gap there that is you know maintenance and capex items and vacancy and all that stuff so it really provides more detail on how to properly calculate cash flow if you're starting off it's a good book excellent that's a great recommendation cool one we got to read because we haven't read it yet cool 
Second question on the core four is if Corey and I gave you a lump sum of $50,000 tax-free right now, how would you invest it or spend it based on your current situation and why? Now, if I have $50,000, I would definitely go into buying a short-term rental. For $50,000, that could be the down payment pretty much, which allows me to buy a $500,000 property. Now, with that $50,000, if you buy correctly or strategically, you can cash flow $3,000 like I'm doing with my cabinets. So I would say if it's tax-free, I would definitely buy another cabin in the Smokies. Cool. Love it. What, uh, sorry, part B. Smokies, mm-hmm. do you think they're over-encumbered right now or like over-trafficked with too many people? I don't know. I'm trying to find the right word for it. I don't, I'm, oh, saturated. There we go. Is it oversaturated now or, or you think there's still areas to buy in there? I think depends on the size of the cabin. And again, this is my personal opinion of what I've noticed. I like smaller cabins because you don't need like 11 people or seven people. I think that becomes more of a challenge throughout the whole year. If you get a smaller cabin that fits two to four people, then you can have couples, you can have friends. You don't have to wait for the kids to get out of school, to do summer or winter or like vacation, stuff like that. Like smaller cabins can stay booked all year round because you're catering for a different type of guests. So get a smaller cabin. I don't think it would be an issue, yeah. I actually love that. I mean, we we kind of fell into it a little bit by just like osmosis because we were we put an offer in a bigger cat on a bigger cabin. But the mm-hmm. more that I think about it, the more glad that I am that we bought a two bed. Uh, because I realize that it's actually it's easier to get people together to go do it, right? Like, uh, like yes. if you're gonna go on a vacation, you want to go with in there's eight bedrooms. It's like a bachelor party or something that's like planned, and mm-hmm. they're few and far between. Where it's like weekends, like boom, yeah. we're up there. So I I love the two bedroom idea. I like to have a mix of both. I think it's uh, it's it's good, but I don't I don't know. I think that um there might be more a lot more work than people think in like a five or six bedroom. So. Obviously, higher revenue, higher risk, higher reward. But um, yeah, so great answer. Question three is, uh, what is your biggest mistake that you've made in your investing journey and how have you learned from it? I would say the biggest mistake, well, one of, one of because I've made a lot of mistakes, but one of the mistakes that I've done that I, I honestly feel like if I could go back in time, I would do it differently is I would pay for a coach or a mentor and, or a mastermind pretty much. And the reason I say that is, Back then, I was so worried about saving a penny instead of making a dollar. So by having a mentor or a coach or a mastermind that can guide you through, hey, do not make this mistake because this is going to cost you time. Like if I would have gone to spend the money in, it's not an expense. You need to see this as an investment. If you hire the right coach or you join the right mastermind, what you're going to save in time and mistakes you're going to avoid and the networking you're going to do that's going to pay off tenfold for that investment you make. And now I do have a mentor and I have someone that I can talk to and I've joined masterminds that have opened doors that I would, I would have not been able to even enter through if it wasn't for the network that I'm dealing with. So I would say don't see spending money on a coach or a mastermind as an expense. See that as an investment. I love that. Nobody answer. has told us. Every single person is told us to be in a mastermind and that I don't think anyone's ever said, oh yeah, I made a mistake getting in the map, that mastermind. So it's, just- yeah. it's not only the mastermind, but like getting a coach. And we've talked about it a bunch of times. It's, I think the, the hardest thing is where do you find a coach? And I, I know it's, it's probably the same as finding a mentor, right? It's like, who can you provide value to? However, the value you're going to pay a coach is, is money, right? So it's mm-hmm. kind of navigating the seas here and just trying to figure out, okay, there being that there's a bunch in the space, which is the best one to go to, what's the best value you're going to get for your dollar. And then also who am I going to click with the most, right? Is there, so I guess my question to you is 
those are all rhetoric, rhetorical questions, but is there a space where you found a coach, like a, a resource that uh, you've used essentially to find someone that kind of like synced up with you and made sense to you? And maybe a second part of that is, is there like a way you can do a trial run without like diving all in up front? I would say like definitely like, okay, so the mastermind that I joined, I actually did a lot of research. I talked to people that were in the mastermind and just got their feedback on it. I was like, hey, do you think it's a good investment? What are you getting out of it? And I did a lot of research for the mastermind and the value that I got talking for different people. Yes, I mean, no mastermind is perfect, but what they were telling me is what I was looking for. The value that I'm getting from it is actually it's worth it, in my opinion, for what I'm paying for it. So that's how I did the research. And going to like Reddit, talk to people on Instagram. Like if you see someone as a mastermind, talk to them. Be like, hey, I saw that you joined this. Can you tell me what your feedback is? You know, what constructive feedback do you have? And start networking like that to get you into your mastermind. Just don't go into the guru's website and be like, oh my God, she's so he or she is so charismatic. I'm going to spend the money. Talk to the people that are in the mastermind and ask them, why did you join? How do you, do you think you're going to join next year? Because that's another question. Do you think they're going to renew your membership? Why not? Why yes? And for the mentor, the way I click with him is we met again through Instagram, but we've been talking and I like what he was doing. I like the way he was strategizing and everything. And I talked to him, I'm like, hey, you know what? Can you mentor me? And I, he's really busy, but the way he was growing his portfolio in the way in his net worth is so much higher than mine. I just wanted to learn from him. Like, how are you being, how are you doing this? How is this even possible? How are you making all those deals with no money down? Like, I had no idea. And just, again, we did a trial run. We did one and we said, hey, let's just do one hour. Let's see if you provide the value that I'm looking for. And of course, I'll pay you for that hour. And that hour was like four months ago. So now we meet bi-weekly and we have metrics and we talk about it. And in that sense, it has worked for me. Yes. Oh, I love that. Would you mind sharing what mastermind you're in? Yes, uh, GoBundance. Ah, Damn it. That's amazing. That's the one we want to go into. <laughs> we're, we're trying to become millionaires first. We're on track, but uh, we, we're trying, you know, there's a couple of ways. You have to be either uh, an accredited investor or a millionaire, I think. Million dollars in net worth, one of the two. Um, did that change? Do you know if that's still still the same kind of schematics here? So, okay. So for the, I'm in the women's side. I think the men have like different tiers. And okay. for the women's side, I think it's $1 million of net worth, or you need to have a, what is a gross household income of 300,000 or something like that. Yeah. So accredited, yeah. be accredited investor status. Yes. Cool. Mm -hmm. Well, perfect. So we're, we're working on it. We have a couple strategies to get there. Oh um, yeah. We're, we're not far, it. but we'll see you there soon. So that's great. That's fine. Definitely. There's, yes. Yeah. There's like three that we were toying with, but that's the one that was like the, the reach for the stars one. And we're just going to reach for the stars. So, um, Great. Thanks. So last question on the core four is what do you want your legacy to be? So basically why are you doing everything that you do? What kind of gets you out of bed every morning and uh, keeps you motivated? Okay. So I was saying, and that's where I'm pivoting towards nowadays and I'm working on having my own private equity fund company for the same reason that when I was growing up, I didn't know, I didn't know those possibilities were there. And now that I have those possibilities and I'm investing, I realize that we or me as a minority or people that look like me or my culture, we don't think that's possible for us. It feels like it's out of our reach. It feels like it's not, we, I didn't even know about it when I was growing up about those opportunities. And then I realized that is just because of the lack of 
having people that look like me in those positions. And it seems to stay within certain investors or class or whatever you might call it. I want to make sure that I provide opportunities to minorities. So I want to create a fund that helps minorities invest their money into this fund so they, they can create wealth and I can create wealth too. So it's more like a mutual beneficial company. I want to be able to make sure that they know that it is possible. That this, this is not something that is out of reach. And I want to help my community very much. Wonderful. Great answer. I love it. Looks like we made it to the last drop. And with the last drop, we want to ask you, what advice, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? So maybe if you were looking in the mirror at your 18-year-old self, what would you say? Mm, I'm going to have to go back to, I'm going to have to go back to telling myself that it is possible and changing that mindset that I used to have as I never thought it was possible. And I think that was like an obstacle on my growth. And as I come to my journey, like my mindset has shifted and having more of an abundance mindset. Surrounding myself with people that have that mindset can really take you places. Because when you think something's not possible, but someone comes to you and tells you, I was in your position two years ago and it is possible. So surrounding yourself with those type of people can really have an impact on your growth. So I would say, stop having a scarcity mindset and focus on having valuable friendships and networking. I love that answer. I think it's wonderful. Uh, I think about that. I feel bad for people, especially people that comment negatively on some of the posts we have. <laughs> I think, man, these people are stuck in stuck in the negative mindset of not thinking that they can do it, and then they project mm -hmm. that. Then they project that on other people and try to bring other people down. I think it just not only it hinders yourself in a scarcity way, it hinders everybody around you. So, getting rid of yeah. that that negativity, that victim mindset, all those things, I think that that can propel you way further than you even think. And that mm -hmm. that's, yeah. and I, and you've evidently achieved that. So that's awesome. Ingrid, it's been a, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Wonderful episode. I really enjoyed talking to you. So thank you for coming on. Uh, and if people want to get in touch with you, they want to learn more about you, hear your story, network, go into deals together, whatever it may be, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Definitely. So I am on Instagram. I'm more active on Instagram and my handle is at engineer.on.fire. So engineer.on.fire. And I have my personal website, which is www.ingrid, I-N-G-R-I-D-D-U-Q-U-E, my last name, duke.com. Thank you so much for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure. Awesome. Thank you both. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Weekly Juice Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and share with friends. The more ratings we get, the more ears we'll get on our show. And in turn, we'll be able to provide you with more high-quality guests. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod, where we post daily tips and tricks and document our own journey towards financial freedom. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice.